Listen, there's a fantastic feel today in the monster business. Of course, it would have happened in California. A young man emerged from a restroom aboard an American Airlines jet on a flight from Boston. He pranced nude up and down the aisle ten minutes before landing at L.A. <laughs> oh, God. It's uh, Los Angeles. So bring it up, please. That's what did it to him. That's what did it to him. It's a long look down there, you know, in that cloud little cuckoo land. With this cork, and next thing you know, he's running around, in and out of the john. I think we all secretly have a marriage to run screaming nude down the middle of some aisle. Tell you, crime is taking a taking a real evil turn. Now you know, money is one thing. A uh, guy's stealing dough. Uh, you know, the dough is just paper after all, ultimately. But did you hear about the the fantastic crime that just occurred? Well, it only occurred about two blocks from here. In fact, it was only about a week ago. It was really a, a dastardly crime. It's the only way I could describe it: dastardly. And it's a it's a comment on our times, and it's a comment on a lot of stuff. Right down here, not more than two blocks away, there's a seafood restaurant. And this seafood restaurant, like a lot of them here in New York City, has in the the window, the main window, they've got a tank with lobsters in it. You know, swimming around. You've seen those places, see? Well, everything was going fine. It was dinner time and people having their little martinis and stuff. They're all sitting around the seafood joint there and the waiters were rushing back and forth. And all of a sudden, out of the night, and through the swinging doors came this wino, drunkard and a skunk. He rails in, you know, and, and he just reels in through the swinging doors, and without any hesitation, he just reaches out, see, just reaches out with a with a with a with a, with a fantastic uh, quick move. And that was that's what got him, see, because he was drunk. He comes right on his hand, rushes out like a like a snake into the tank, and grabs a live lobster. And he just turns around and runs out the swinging door, and he takes off down 6th Avenue like a bat out of hell with all the waiters chasing him, trailing buns, uh, salt shakers, yelling, Stop, please! Stop! Stop! The guy's running down the street with a lobster. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Oh, man, what a scene right out of a, right out of a Charlie Chaplin movie. <laughs> now he's crossing 6th Avenue. He's now nearing Radio City Music Hall. The crowds are screaming. He's running up the side of the building. He's carrying a great big foot Hold it there, hold it there. Thank you, thank you. Great. And he saw this lobster. Well, when I read that, I says, oh, you know, that is, that is crime. Because let's face it, uh, today, uh, uh, lobsters are rarer than dollar bills by any means. And uh, it's a sad thing. And uh, I, when I heard about that lobster rustler, that guy uh, coming in out of the street and, of course, overcome by uh, insatiable hunger. He comes in out of the street, reeling, reaches out and into the tank, grabs the, uh, and this is a live one, of course. He grabs a live lobster and he takes off like a bat out of hell and runs down the street with a lobster. Now, I hope he got a good one because there are little ones and big ones in them tanks. 
But the thing that <laughs> the thing that that hit me immediately. Give me a little romantic music, please, if you will. I'm thinking about this this lobster robbery. Now, a lot of lesser observers of the scene <laughs> would probably just think that's one of those funny things that happen, you know, this little funny kicker at the end of the news kind of thing. No, no, I'm going to take a different view, friends. Friends, fellow victims, fellow travelers on the yellow brick road of eternity in the 20th century, I'm going to take a different view. And my view is essentially this. This is the first overt example we have of a man stealing something which is rapidly going into the realm of true value. And I, I, I just think that the guy running in, and remember, he's running the risk of being caught for robbery, everything else, you know. And what does he steal? He does not steal cash. He doesn't come in and reach his hand into the till and run out with a bunch of dollar bills. He grabbed the lobster. Now, he must have thought about this. This was obviously a, a well-planned caper. He was a little drunk, but he knew what he was doing. Because, first of all, he grabbed the lobster in the right place. I talked to one of the waiters. He says he knew about lobsters. <laughs> you grab a lobster in the wrong place, you're going to know about it. I'll tell you that. This guy grabbed them right. He says he grabbed them right just perfect. He says, this guy was a good lobster man. He says, not only that, he says, you know, this same waiter I talked to, I talked to him at this place, you see. He says, uh, he says you know, I don't know whether you've ever tried to catch a lobster in a tank. He says, these were fresh lobsters. He says, sometimes it takes me upwards of 15 minutes to catch a lobster in it. He says, they move. He says, they move like, you know, like Billy be damned. He says, this guy knew what he was doing. He says, he moved like a snake. He says, I had never saw anything like it. He says, this guy could work here anytime he wanted. He says, he grabbed that lobster and he took off like a bird. And he said, as he ran down the street, he said, me and Sam and Aki, you know, we took out after him. And our towels flapping. He swing run down the street after him, and he said, you could see the feelers and the, and the claws and all that stuff. He says, this guy's running. And he said, people looking at him. He says, they, you know, some people hollered, stop thief. And he turned right at 49th Street. He says, we never did see him again. He probably got in the subway with it. Then it was his date or something. And he sat down in the subway with his lobster. Now, I'd like to point out something. This, is, this shows what, what the price of food is getting like in our country. You know? There's going to be a day when some guy's going to come right up to you. You're, you're going to be sitting there in this restaurant eating a steak, see, which is going to cost you half of your next month's paycheck. You know, you'll be chewing away. And you just get the knife and fork, and suddenly two masked bandits come out of the dark, grab a hold of your steak, and run. <laughs> you're, you're laughing, right? Well, you know that this has happened in other countries in times of inflation, that the... That, it's a, it's a historical fact that in, in at least one European country, in Germany, for example, in the 20s, they had this fantastic inflation where if a guy wanted to go down and, you know, buy himself uh, some, uh, some, uh, some hot dogs, you know, some Frankfurters or something like that, it took a wheelbarrow full of dough. A wheel. So money was nothing, you know. The Frankfurters were everything. The money was nothing. So guys would get slugged on the back of the head coming home from the, from the meat market with a pork chop. You know, it's worth $27 million. And that was bigger than the Boston bank robbery caper. And that's a fact. They were murdering guys in the street. You know, guy, if, if the word was out that, that some guy was walking down the street with two pounds of spare ribs, his life was, I mean, not worth a plug nickel. 
like a plug nickel, uh, forget it. By the way, have any, has anybody ever seen a plug nickel? I never have. I, I suspect that plug nickels are very valuable because they seem to be rare. I've never seen one. <laughs> I really haven't, you know. But uh, I, 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 uh, I, I'm now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sing a gentle hymn here and uh, play upon the gentle heartstrings of poetry because I suspect that within the next few years the lobster will join the okapi as one of Earth's most rare creatures and the panda and there'll be big there'll be big announcements made in the paper that the that the international aquarium at washington has just acquired two actual lobsters and people will line up for miles to go in and see a lobster and and other people of course old codgers of the period will walk around and they'll tell wondrous tales about the days when a guy could go in and eat one actually ate a lobster you don't know what lobsters taste like people say you mean you ate a lobster Actually, ate a lobster. Yep. Not only that, I put butter on them. A little salt and pepper. In fact, uh, one time I ate two lobsters one night. Just went in this place, got two lobsters. It's always to it. And people say, I can't believe it. Oh, come on, you must be a thousand years old. But it's like, roughly like saying you ate a dinosaur. You, and you should sit down there and, uh, you know, polish off a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because the... Lobster, unfortunately, is joining that great band of animals that are quietly but sneakily departing the scene. And there will be a day. When people, by the way, I suspect there will be a day when some museum, some far-off time, will acquire a portion of an actual lobster shell. And it will confirm the suspicion that such a creature as the lobster once existed. Like the dodo bird. Did you know that there is one stuffed dodo bird in the world? Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, well <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, what are you? I, I'm talking about the <laughs> museums. I mean, I'm talking. All, all right. I want to stop it. Stop it there. Stop it. That's enough of that. Well, I knew I'd get in trouble tonight. But you know, uh, I, I. Uh, I just think that the, that the disappearance of the of the of the uh, lobster really is a sad thing. I, I uh, it is because you're you're listening tonight to a dedicated lobster cuckoo. I, I really I really like lobsters. Do you? Oh yeah. I mean you know I've always said that if, if uh, it's a great test. You take a chicken to a place and if she doesn't like lobster, there's a lot of other stuff she doesn't like. I would suggest that you make other arrangements quickly. Because you're onto a bad scene. <laughs> I mean, I really are. And uh, I, I uh, it's, it's a, it's a one of Shepard's famous uh, thumbnail tests that uh, you can apply. There's all kinds of little tests. They're kind of a kind of a, what you might call a uh, kind of an instant uh, litmus paper test. And I, I uh, I've had some great lobsters. And I'm not even going to tell you about some. But there's one place I'll never forget. One place, one time. I remember one night I'm driving along. See. And I'm going up uh, into New England, and everybody, you know, everybody has his his stories. I think I think the stories uh, of 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 restaurants the people have run into, you know, just just came across them, that kind of stuff. Every everybody, I, I've never known anybody who didn't have some kind of restaurant stories, either restaurant horror stories or uh, restaurant fantasy stories. Oh, I've got a great restaurant horror story. You want to hear one? Okay. 
I go to this great restaurant one night, and uh, I'm with this chick, you know, oh, elegant, oh, you know, the kind of place where just to sit down is fifteen, twenty dollars Then the food starts after that, you know, then they start figuring it up. So I go ahead, I'm with a chick, right? We sit down. And uh, Luigi comes over and says, uh, you wish, did you wish to have a drink or would you prefer the menu? I said, well, have a drink. So, oh, very good, sir. What shall you have? Well, of course, the chick immediately realizes she's got a live one on the line. She orders uh, a seven-color pousse cafe. All right. The evening started to go downhill. Off. You know what is it, a pousse cafe? You know what is it, a pousse cafe? Why do I know these things nobody else does? Pousse cafe. Well... If you, that's another one of Shepard's rule of thumb. Any time you're with a girl who orders a Pousse Cafe, arrange to go to the John and go out the window. Don't come back in. <laughs> you are with a bad number. So this girl who looked quite innocent says, I will have a Pousse Cafe, please. And the waiter says, ah, the Pousse Cafe, of course. Yeah, the Pousse Cafe goes for roughly three and a half. For starters... Now, a Pousse Cafe, I will give you a brief technical description. You know what is it, a liqueur? Right, you know that, right? Now, a liqueur is not the same as a liquor. A liqueur, right. Now, a liqueur is a sweet, generally a sickeningly sweet, after-dinner drink. Now, each liqueur has a different specific gravity. Are you aware of that? Of course, all liquids are that way. Now, an elegant seven-color Pousse Cafe is just that. It's served in a tiny, thin glass, like a high, thin test tube with a little stand on the bottom. And the bartender must very carefully float seven different types of after-dinner liqueurs, one on top of the other, until they float in layers. They don't mix. They float. That's the, that's the essence. If he mixes them, forget it. It goes back. They float so that when you hold it up to the light, you see... Seven layers of differing shades. You see golden chartreuse. You see green chartreuse. You see dry sec. You see anisette. You see all the various totally high expensive and fantastically high specific gravity things floating up to the top. Now, how is a Pousse Cafe served? Oh, with elegance. He, uh, he puts a little screen on the top of it, see? And just before it's served, he takes a, a match, a special Pousse Cafe lighting match, of course, which you pay for and uh, yeah, it comes direct, uh, direct from Marseille, France. And he goes, the light goes, poof. There's a little tiny flame. Everybody in the restaurant applaud, especially Luigi. And uh, they bring it over, and they sit it down in front of the chick, and it's flaming away there, saying, oh, my God, what have I got here? Well, I order my usual, see, which is a, a, a wild strawberry diet, you who. And, uh, I, yeah, I like it with a little vodka. And uh, I, I uh, feel, you know, a little sprig of mint, too. It's kind of nice. So I'm sitting there, and, <laughs> and you know, playing it big. I, I st things are still under control at this point. And uh, it's not going too far down. I figure that if I keep a tight rein on things and, and uh, keep my eye out, you know, keep it peeled, everything's going to go good. So she has the Pousse Cafe. And the way a, a, a true Pousse Cafe drinker drinks a Pousse Cafe is that's, incidentally, part of the whole mystique of the Pousse Cafe. The drinker is not supposed to mix them either. So, the trick of the Pousse Cafe is to take seven sips, drawing off each layer in turn. And now we are down to six. See? She holds it up to the light, and I could see him with an expert. 
Uh, first of all, I'd never seen this actually done. I'd heard about it. But this chick not only did it, but every time she would sip with that elegant little bird's mouth, she would go like that, the crowd at the bar would applaud. Because by now, this exhibition was attracting much attention. And uh, she sipped off the six remaining layers, and I'm down to the ice cubes now, and my my uh, wild strawberry Yoo-Hoo vodka, which is not bad. You know what it's called? Rasputin's Revenge. That drink. If you, if you, any of you would like to order that drink, you just go into any bar that, that knows what the score is and just say, I'll have a Rasputin's Revenge. And he'll say, what the hell is that? And you say, that is uh, two jiggers of wild strawberry diet Yoo-Hoo, one jigger of Smirnoff vodka, two ice cubes, and a sprig of mint. Now, either you'll get thrown out or you become the local celebrity in the bar, one or the other. So, <laughs> you like these drinks I invent, don't you? So, uh, <laughs> so nevertheless, there I am sitting there with my with my Rasputin's Revenge, and I'm toying with the idea of having another one because uh, the first one uh, didn't, uh, you know, didn't make much of a dent. Uh, and I am headed off at the pass. When the chick opposite me says, uh, Luigi, and Luigi comes over and she says, I will have another one, would you please uh, 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 tell him to make it a double. A double? My God almighty, a double. <laughs> and of course, Luigi sung, he, he, he walked away on tippy toes singing because Luigi obviously was on a uh, percentage basis with the bar and a double seven-layer Pousse Cafe runs into astronomical figures. I do not even have to discuss what they come for. In fact, they're not even listed on the average bar menu. It's the kind of thing that you send the Tiffany's for, see. So, nevertheless, she gets her double seven-layer Puskap. And by the way, it gives double the flame, too. Boom! You know, up it goes. You know. <laughs> My eyebrows are singed, and I'm sitting there, and I order another Rasputin's Revenge. We're sitting quietly there. I have another ploy, if you don't mind, uh, another ploy. Which uh, is kind of a good ploy, when I'm uh, making sparkling conversations such as, uh, 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 you like seafood? That's, that's good. Uh, either the girl says, oh, icky, or else uh, she says, mmm, yummy. Now, both can be dangerous. First of all, she says, oh, yummy, watch out. That's level the result in Armando's specialty, which is three lobsters on a three-inch steak accompanied with oyster sauce which can take you way out into the <laughs> wild blue yonder of problems when it comes to settling up after the gay festive evening. Now, on the other hand, if she says, Oh, ugh, icky, that means you've got a dead one on the string, and you might as well prepare right now. You've, you've got the yesterday's cake of yeast with you tonight, and you might as well just take her home quietly after the meal, and, uh, you know, you can't win them all. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting there, and then, making my conversation when uh, Luigi comes over. you want, This is my horror story, right? You want to hear it? All right, now it's getting right down to the point. And by now, of course, Rasputin's revenge has uh, warmed the cockles of the heart. I'm getting expansive. The girl is uh, now down around layer five on her second double pousse cafe. Everything is under control. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, everything's looking kind of good. And I look over to my right and I see this red wallpaper and even that looked kind of good, you see, because Rasputin's Revenge does that to you. It makes a lot of things look good. So we're talking away there, and we're playing Neasy, which is kind of fun. And Neasy is played in most of these little 
French restaurants, they have these little tiny tables, you know, about the size of a Yugoslavian stamp. And uh, usually one or at sometimes as many as three legs are cut at odd and random lengths. Now, the table then tends to tilt wildly from time to time. You've been in restaurants like that, the table constantly tilts. Now, I know why this is. I will not bring it up. But uh, I have often, on, the, on occasion, gone into restaurants like this. You lean your elbow, the table tilts, and there goes your $2 drink on the floor. And for $2, you bring another one. So those tables are very clever. They're good money makers. So I'm sitting there next to my little table there, being very careful. Now, when you play when you play the game in these little tables, one of the great things about them is you can stick your knees under them, and the girls' knees stick under them too. And since it's a very very tiny table, your knees touch somewhat erotically, and that's called kneesy. And you sit there and you keep saying, "Oh, am I bumping you?" See, of course you're bumping her. You know, you can just see her face gets red every couple of minutes. So you're really bumping her. So you move back again, and uh, it's kind of a you know, it's a little counterpoint to the excitement of drinking uh, strawberry yoo-hoo. And, and it just, uh, the whole evening was just getting greater and greater, see. And, and by now, this is the moment when, when it, it's at its most dangerous. Over in the corner, the entertainment begins. You thought you could get out before it started, but no. Because that means not only are you going to have to sit through that, because this is going to cause you to have to yell at her all the way through the meal now, but in addition to that, eventually the guy playing the violin will come over and stand by your table and play the violin in your ear, which is going to cost you $10. So uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and, and they had one of these cockamamie Dixie beds. <laughs> you know, there's a certain kind of chic place in town that thinks Dixie is chic, you know. So this Dixie band starts to honk away over the corners. They're honking away, seeing them sitting there. Yeah. And I, I'm you know, playing it real good, and I got my old, you know, I got my old... My old Rasputin's Revenge, and I keep swirling it with the, with the swirler there, the swizzle stick. They had a swizzle stick, see, that was made in the form of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's kind of a neo-Italian French restaurant, and I'm swizzling away there, and I'm crushing the mint. I'm, I'm trying to look very romantic. With that, over comes Luigi. And Luigi says, ah, your salad, sir. And he puts the salad down in front of the chick, and he puts one down in front of me. Well, I'm looking down at the salad, and I'm sipping away at Rasputin's Revenge. Everything's going cool. The band is playing away there. And, and I, must, I might point out that very few things are more irritating to a good night eating than a Dixie band playing away. In the, this is not the ideal uh, dinner music. Do you agree with that? You know? In fact, I, I, I make it a point to never go near a place where there's Dixieland of any type being played. This is not my dish of tea. But nevertheless, we're here, you see. And they're honking away. And they, they usually wear those corny red and white striped shirts, you know, that kind of thing, with the fake straw hats and all that, and they keep winking at you. And that the, the guy with a trombone, you know, keeps uh, putting that, uh, you know, that, that, that tin derby over the front of it. He goes, quack, 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 quack. And everybody, so, you know, they sit there and pound on... Uh, uh, glasses and stuff. So my knee is, uh, you know, it's uh, getting nice and warm. Everything's working good. And all of a sudden, I glance down at this unbelievably expensive chef's salad, which is in front of my plate. I look down at it. Comes in one of these, uh, well, actually it was a Florentine plastic bowl. And 
uh, kind of nice. It had these uh, Greek designs on the side. Now, I don't know how they mixed Florentine and Greek, but they did. So, uh, you know, and I, I looked down there and my salad, and I'm aware of some curious... Well, let's put it this way. We are creatures of habit, right? We are also creatures of uh, instinct, which we rarely discuss. We are also creatures of environment. All three of those things combined to make the you so lovable, <laughs> which is the lovable you, which is the you that you have constantly been trying to change and find totally unable to do so, because forces beyond which you have no control have molded you like a piece of silly putty into the foolish, cloddish mold that you now that you now present to the world. Those three things, they, by the way, will appear on the Blue Book exam, I would suggest you make a note of those three things. Environment, put that down, A. Environment. Uh, B, you ready for that? It's an instinct. Put that one down, see? All right, uh, you like that one, huh? Environment, instinct. Three, heredity. Those are the three forces that have combined to make you the clod that you are, and you will not be able to escape them. So those three elements were at work on me. Now, what is, what is the element of instinct? Let's examine each in its turn. Let's examine each in its turn. Let's take heredity. There's not a damn thing you can do about that. Heredity. If your father was a short, fat guy that lost his hair at the age of nine, well, the chances are you're going to be a short, fat guy that loses his hair at the age of three. So, um, that's heredity. Right? Nothing you can do. Now, what about environment? Damn little you can do there. Because you're trapped before you can fight. There you are, six months old, and you already got a bad environment. Now, uh, the other thing, uh, you may do something about it. You know, but not much. Instinct. All you can do is fight instinct. But there has been on record not one case ever of anyone winning the fight. In other words, the fight against your instincts is a losing fight, right? Have you ever tried to fight your instincts? Oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, my instinct takes over. I sense something. The old jungle instinct of the, of the jungle man. I sense something looking at me. I peer around, and I see it is looking at me for my salad. I raise carefully the leaf of lettuce, and I see two beady eyes peering at me from under the salad. I raise it a little higher, and I see it is about a 17-pound, gigantic, green, black-eyed, red-footed, mean-looking, angry caterpillar. He must have weighed, oh, six, seven pounds. And that little, that little mother's looking right at me. Great bacon. Now, that's a problem. Instantly, Instinct again takes over. Instantly, I am cold sober. Rasputin's revenge is gone. I look up at Luigi, and I say, Luigi. And he says, so will we, we, monsieur. I says, Luigi. Without saying anything, I just lift the lettuce, and he looks down. He says, ah, I see. You wish, uh, you wish the French dressing instead of the Italian. I says, indeed, more. And he takes, he takes it away, see. And it checks his... Uh, Gee, what was the matter with the salad? I says, nothing, honey, nothing. And she says, uh, oh, 
Can I have another drink? I says, go ahead, honey. I says, Luigi, another Pouche Cafe was the lady. And I says, oh, by the way, Luigi, where is he, John? He says, out in the back. Twelve minutes later, I'm running down the alley, making a left turn of 46th Street, without ever looking back. And, uh, I ain't stopped running since, really, one way or another. <laughs> She's probably still sitting there drinking Pouche Cafes. She's had over 1,200 of them since I left. And that ends tonight's salute to Julia Child. Yes, Adventures in Eating comes to you every night at the same time. So be ready for all the excitement, all the fun. Yes, all the excitement and all the fun of truly exhilarating eating. Except you the public service. Thank <laughs> you.